bitch. Zack City. Bitch. Hello, Salvesters, and welcome to the first episode of the Salve Podcast. I am so happy that you are here listening, if you are, and I am excited to introduce a new aspect of Salve to your ears to accompany the newsletter. I've been doing this for 12 weeks now, so I get a little tired of writing. You can expect a Salve podcast every once in a while. I'm kind of trying different things with Salve and seeing what sticks. So if you have any feedback on what you particularly like about Salve, it would be great to hear that on my Instagram at ZachCityBish. Slide into my DMs. It originally started as an isolation project to entertain and uplift you during quarantine, but we have slowly exited that time of our lives, and I am wondering if I need to adjust my content accordingly. It seems to me that the more memoir and personal writing I do, the more feedback and response that I get, which is great, but that does take a certain emotional toll on me to write that frankly every week so I'm not sure that I can consistently do that if you could let me know what about salve it is that you really like that would be really helpful to me so the plan for today is to go through some salves for your sorrows so things that I enjoyed this week that might also bring you some comfort or joy also to go through some topical headlines that I've been seeing recently and do a little commentary on how I've been feeling about certain things I'm planning on attacking the Kardashians again today so if you're a Kardashian Jenner hater you're in the right place and I will conclude by reading you a excerpt from my memoir because I'm writing a book which is insane and hard and probably unaccomplishable but like we out here doing things. The first thing I wanted to recommend that everybody should check out this week is the album Gaslighter by the formerly known Dixie Chicks who are now simply the Chicks due to some political reckoning that they've had where they've decided that it's inappropriate to be called Dixie Chicks, which is probably correct, um, although it does sound good to my ears. I really enjoyed this album because it talks about divorce and female pain and heartbreak and the writing is really excellent and the production is outstanding. It's from Jack Antonoff, who has worked with a lot of the artists that you may have recently enjoyed. Uh, think Lord's Melodrama and Haim's latest album. He has worked with all of them and I really enjoy the aesthetic that he creates in his sound. The Chicks are a really interesting cultural figure because they were one of the first victims of cancel culture. When Natalie Maines, the lead singer, made a comment about being ashamed that George Bush was from Texas at a concert in London in 2003, there was a very swift and repressive backlash that ultimately lowered their incomes and their livelihoods. Their tour didn't sell as well, they were banned from country radio it really had a sizable impact on their lives i think that's interesting because it's a version of cancel culture that really uh, originated on the political right there is this assumption from the right that the left have started cancel culture and are the ones that are really engaging in it but the first popular culture example of that was what happened to the dixie chicks and they have a great documentary called shut up and sing which is about the aftermath of the tour that followed natalie main's comments lambasting the president of the united states i can only liken the severity of their cancellation to what happened with Harvey Weinstein. I think that we see a lot of people getting theoretically cancelled on Twitter, uh, but not actually having their livelihoods taken away from them. Another recommendation to tickle your fancy is an Instagram account called Karen G-O-B and three R's. You may be wondering, what is this random Instagram account you're promoing? It is a collection of Karen freakouts in public. I'm sure you're all familiar with what a Karen is. It is 
pretty much a white person having some sort of racist or inconsequential meltdown in public. And this Instagram has a very fascinating collection of these random emotional outbursts over seemingly uh, nonsensical or bigoted things. And I have always had a deep attraction to watching people experience conflict in public. I can't say that it's one of my proudest interests, but I have definitely watched several world star compilations on YouTube of people beating the shit out of each other for no apparent reason. Um, and that probably says something terrible about me. But this account has brought me a lot of uh, joy, as perverse as that sounds. So I highly recommend that you hit it up if you're looking to laugh at people who refuse to wear masks and protect themselves and other people, like assholes. A reading recommendation for this week are any of Maya Angelou's memoirs. I suggest you read them in order. Obviously, there are eight of them, and they begin with I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. But as a poet, she has a very lyrical prose that is very accessible and easy to read, but also grapples with some really intense concepts. She details her experience of coming of age in the segregated South and also of experiencing racism while traveling around the world as a performing artist. Ultimately, in the latest one that I'm reading, she moves to Ghana to try and find a sense of kinship in the motherland, an acceptance and uh, a normalization that she is unable to find in the United States in the 60s. And there are a group of Black Americans that immigrate out to Ghana and they have a very hard time fitting in. They're a little bit rejected by the locals. They are embraced, but also kept at arm's length. And there is a very powerful moment in this particular work where Angelou is reckoning with her homesickness and her yearning to be in America and be amongst her people, despite having been rejected and treated as a second-class citizen. So I'm excited to keep reading them. And I do recommend that you follow along because it's illuminating, heartbreaking, hilarious, and wonderful. Another piece of media that I really enjoyed this week was Indian matchmaking on Netflix. It follows a matchmaker pairing like-minded young Indian people for a successful arranged marriage. And there's a lot of agency in this situation, which I think is a fresh take on the popular culture myth of all arranged marriages being submissive and forced and unwanted. And it does show partnership in a way that I haven't thought about before. It really is like signing a contract and agreeing to build on something together with another person. This is a very clarifying piece of media. I think it lays out what it's trying to say very clearly and you can draw your judgments or assumptions from it as you see fit. There have been a lot of discussions about colorism and classism on this show and while those things are definitely signified, something that really interested me was that idea that a marriage is an arrangement, a contract that you sign, a thing that you agree to do, an obligation that you have to fulfill. There is definitely sexism in this process. A lot of the women are told that they need to be a little bit more submissive in order to find a partner. And those who are strong-willed or more decisive in what they want from a person are looked at as more difficult. But that doesn't stop the matchmaker from trying to find someone who fits with their ideals. As they say consistently throughout the show, there are young and modern people who are looking for an arranged marriage that have different ideals than what maybe matchmakers used for previous generations. I was very struck by the idea of compromise throughout this. It was encouraged for the men, not only the women, to give and take and to have realistic expectations and to know that you're signing up for something that is collaborative. And I think that's an interesting idea that I would perhaps like to take forth in my own relationships in the future, that idea of being willing to compromise and not to settle, but to adjust your expectations for something real rather than something you've created in your brain. 
As always, I am endlessly fascinated by the living legend, Paris Hilton, who has just blessed us with another YouTube video of her interacting with two small children. She invites them over and showers them with gifts of her own products, spritzes them in her own perfume, then lets them into her closet to do a clear out. And honestly, it's like watching a very apt Sophia the Robot trying to be human. I think that Paris is a character that she's created for herself, and she has an upcoming documentary coming out in September uh, where she discusses this idea that she created this vapid and insipid character to hide from herself or to shield her real personality from the public, uh, which is interesting because she has definitely selected to be a very public-facing person, but I do wonder whether that character has slipped into her persona. I will be very interested to see if the documentary clarifies any of the questions I have surrounding the authenticity of Paris Hilton, but what I do know is that I cannot hear that's hot and loves it enough. Here comes my Kim Kardashian slander. I wanted to discuss Kanye West's mental health struggles that have been uh, kind of at the forefront of the media recently with his bid for running for president and saying that he almost killed his daughter because Kim wanted to get an abortion. I mean, there's been a torrent of kind of unhinged declarations from a person who is very obviously ill and struggling. And the conversation surrounding these outlandish outbursts seem to have normalized the fact that he's sick. And I think that that's wrong, obviously. But I have also noticed that there are a lot of hyper woke people trying to kind of commandeer the conversation and force people to um, excuse a lot of his past behavior. And I don't necessarily think that that's helpful because an explanation is just that. His illness is an explanation for his behavior. Do I think there's some truth behind the statements that he made about feeling like he's trapped in the movie Get Out and calling Chris Jenner Chris Strong Un, which was kind of iconic? I do believe that there is some truth behind those sentiments. Kim Kardashian is a culture vulture. She will latch onto anything that will make her more relevant and give her more depth in the public arena. And she might have a lot of money and a lot of attention, but one thing she seriously lacks is gravitas. And Kanye West is a musical genius. He really is a creative mastermind and Kim Kardashian simply does not have the vernacular to compare to that. So it absolutely makes sense to me why Kim Kardashian would have pursued a union with someone like Kanye West. It offers her a depth that she is otherwise unable to access. While I respected her statement that she made on Instagram, and I do agree with uh, her sentiments about how we're approaching conversations surrounding mental health, I am always suspicious when she enters the conversation because I don't ever believe that she's truly doing something to purely help other people or draw awareness to an issue. It always leads back to some personal gain. For the Kardashians, any publicity is good publicity. And do I really think they're sorry that this is hitting the headlines right now? Not really, because they haven't been relevant for a minute. As some of you may know, I am a skincare fanatic, and this week I made two purchases that I am very pleased with and I would like to share with you because I truly believe that they have made a difference to my complexion. I found out about Crave Beauty, a Korean-American beauty brand, a few years ago, and I was always intrigued by their products, but everything was out of stock and I couldn't get my hands on anything for a while. I found that they had a restock of their Great Barrier Relief Serum and uh, Oat So Simple Water Cream and purchased both of those things and I am extremely happy with them. As someone who has absolutely overdone it with acids and vitamin C and really gone to town on uh, kind of trying to peel my face away, I am really appreciating the concept of pressing reset on my skin and nourishing it and giving it time to heal and to take care of itself ultimately. So if you're interested in some super affordable and lightweight nourishing products, I highly recommend checking out Crave Beauty. 
Word on the street is that I am about to answer Dear Salve. Dear Salve is an advice column that I run occasionally on Salve. I've only done it once, but you know, this is the second installment, so here I go. This is a question from a concerned reader about quarantine feelings. I understand that some people are still in quarantine, which sucks, and I assume that we will all be going in and out of it for the next year. So this will be a pertinent question for many, many months. How do I feel motivated to keep doing things and set goals when that feels silly as long as nothing is happening and things are closed? Well, reader, I have been having a similar crisis in my life. It is extremely hard to set goals when you're unsure of what the benchmarks are. I mean, things are ever moving and shifting in our world. And it's hard to say, I'd like to move to the city. I'd like to get this job. I'd like to apply to this program when everything is existing in a state of flux. And in terms of getting things done, it can feel very isolating to be by yourself and trying to accomplish things in the comfort of your own home. First, I think we need to examine what it means to you to set a goal or to get things done. What is the purpose driving you behind these things? Is it to make money? Is it to advance your social standing? If those are either of your goals, I would really suggest taking a harder look at what it is that you want to accomplish in your life. We're experiencing a stretch of time where it feels like nothing is going on. So how can you maximize your personal development within that time? And I don't mean to say maximize as in make it efficient. I mean, how much of this experience can you mine for something that will be useful or ultimately beneficial to you as you move forward in your life beyond this weird and uncertain moment? I think now is a great time to look inwards and really figure out what it is that kind of soothes your soul or offers you a salve to your daily existence. I think that we're too often focused on projecting and making other people think that we are accomplished. But what brings you that sense of accomplishment if you take away those external factors? I think that will bring you closer towards setting a goal and achieving that goal. As I said before, when I was talking about pressing reset on my skin, maybe you need to press reset on your life. I know that sounds a little dramatic, but really, maybe it's time to ask, what have you neglected in pursuit of something that now seems a little bit silly? I mean, getting that high paying job at a social media company probably doesn't feel so urgent right now, given that we have no idea what's going to happen and that we now have the knowledge that anything can happen and take those meaningless signifiers away from us. Are there fractured relationships with family or long gone friends that you want to connect with there are a lot of different things that you can do to give yourself a sense of accomplishment right now it could be picking up a hobby you've always wanted to try i don't know this is very generic advice but what i'm really saying is maybe it's time for some self-examination now i get to do something very nerve-wracking but exciting i am going to share a little bit of what i've been working on for the last four or five months i kind of accidentally fell into this being my idea for the book that i would like to write and pitch to publishers it is a memoir called Manchild. that's the working title it's not final about growing up in singapore as a young gay expatriate and dealing with things like censorship and internalized homophobia outward homophobia all of that as well as the experience of being far away from home and disconnected from a culture that you're supposed to feel aligned with. So here is an excerpt from the first chapter. Terrapins were sold at the wet market for a couple of dollars a piece, housed in off-white plastic storage bins with miniature palm trees and yellow beach chairs marooned on a plastic island. The turtles stared off blankly, puffing their gullets like pigeons, scrambling frantically when sticky ice cream fingers prodded them. While my mother haggled with an auntie, the respectful term of address for an older Singaporean woman, I placed my very own terrapin in the hollow of my collarbone. Webbed feet pattered my skin like a second heartbeat. I took heed from my mother and bargained with the auntie too, securing one fresh rampatan for two meaty pinches of my cheeks. I learned to crack open the spiky red exterior of the fruit and lick the sweet watery juice from my wrist, to bite into the flesh and taste home. 
My mother plucked the turtle from my chest, grabbed another one for good measure, thrust them into my hands, and strode off to finish her vegetable shop. I grew up at the wet market in Holland Village, a borough where West swallows East. Like most of Singapore, it was a kampong, meaning village in Malay, before the British settled. It was a self-sufficient community of nurseries. When the army personnel required new living quarters near the military base a few miles inland, they settled on the outskirts of Holland Village and patronized the kampong for produce. The nurseries grew tropical plants for the botanic gardens before the land was poached for commercial development. Colloquially, it was known as the place behind the flower garden. I have only known Holland Village after the nurseries. It's architecturally European, with shop houses and low-rise buildings. The wet market sits in the middle of Lorong Mambong, the main drag of restaurants, bars, and galleries, a pillar of locality in the most dilapidated building, the flickering cinders of a ransacked world. The shop houses around the market were painted cream and terracotta and lined with bougainvillea. I would stand in front of their facades in the late afternoon glow and wave my hand, watching my shadow peekaboo with the flower pots. I never saw a rotten petal. I say I grew up at the wet market because there is a passage of time to chart, a decline in affinity, degraded conviction, perspective claimed by age through time. In a stroller, I mashed banana leaves between my legs and charmed the aunties. In second grade, I played with the local children while my mother inspected baskets of bok choy. We hopscotched on the tiles and invented handshakes. When I started reading chapter books, I balked at the wet market. There was no air between the stalls of produce and the hose water ricocheted off my ankles. I never got out of the way fast enough. The wet market grew more foreign than familiar, though none of it had changed. The difference between us and them was not clear, but it was becoming apparent, lingering in my periphery. Hokkien and Cantonese sounded curt and pithy instead of comforting and musical. As I aged, the local children became more hostile. They called me Angmo, meaning white man, as I lingered behind fresh coconuts, trying to become invisible with hands clasped behind my back. The turtles were a bribe to endure. The auntie carefully arranged a tank and explained how to take care of them. They get too big. You won't like them. Don't bring them back to auntie. The next time you come, I'll get mango. I scurried behind my mother, tripped over my sandals like a giraffe on rollerblades. The local kids squatted low on water-glazed tiles, muttering through gritted teeth. That's all I'm going to share. I know it's a little vague, but I wanted to just give a little taste of how I'm setting the scene of Singapore. I really want the reader to be able to see it through my eyes. If you enjoyed that, please feel free to slide into my DMs and let me know. And if you haven't, please sign up for Salve. I send emails on Thursdays at 9 a.m. EST, 9 p.m. Singapore time. And if you would like to share this with a friend, that would be wonderful. I am always looking for new readers of Salve. I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your week. And I will see you back here at the aforementioned time, either in writing or by podcast next week. Goodbye, Salvesters.